Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against prayer meetings, deliverance services, healing ministries, or church posters. I have nothing against wives and husbands being on the church poster. But here is the problem. There's a, something amiss because the number of churches, deliverance and breakthrough ministries, overnight prayers, and all this hype, there's a problem because it does not seem to translate to transformed lives or Christ-likeness or even the fruitfulness that the Bible talks about when it comes to the followers of Jesus Christ. Something is very wrong. My name is Mudeo Mecha and I serve as one of the deacons in the social justice department. Um, and you've caught us um, in the middle of a series that we've been doing uh, named Nairobi Yangu. And in this series, we are looking at just this city of Nairobi and different aspects of it, the blessings and the brokenness of this city, and just narrowing down on the areas of brokenness in this city and seeing what does scripture have to say, what role do we have to play in being a blessing and light to this city. And so my relationship with this great city of Nairobi started when I was seven years old, when my family, our family moved here in Nai to Nairobi um, from Machakos, where we had lived all my life until then. So I was born in Machakos. Then I think it was actually, if I remember correctly, we actually moved on my seventh birthday uh, is when we moved to Nairobi. And we landed in Eastlands, a place called Ziwani, or as we used to call it, Ziwa, which is in the Karyoko area. Um, if you have zero bearing, just think Gikomba. Have you heard of Gikomba? I'm sure you've heard of Gikomba. So Karyoko is just a stone throw away from Gikomba. Now, Ziwa, back in the day, was the place where it was happening in terms of Sheng. The Sheng that came out of Ziwa, and if you lived anywhere else and you thought your Sheng was it, I'm sorry, Ziwa's Sheng is the one that got to your neighborhood and then spread from there. Um, the Sheng was... You, you had to be on your toes to keep up with it. It was happening. But Ziwani was also gangster land, as we came to know it. There was lots of young people in that area who really didn't have much going on for their lives except to get involved in crime. And so it was common every week, every other week, to hear of wailing there, wailing there, because some young person or other had been either shot dead by the cops or killed by fellow gangs. And so there was funerals happening, wailings, as the news of another one um, being killed hit the neighborhood. And so we lived in a church compound in the middle, literally, of this area that was Ziwani. And I went to, this, this is how you know I was an Nairobian. I went to a school called Dr. Agri Primary School. <laughs> Doctor, my friends. It doesn't get more local than that. I loved my school. It was big, it was crowded. I loved at break time going to buy ice and mabuyu, apoivonyuma. Anyone feel me? Yes. So Nairobi life was fun. It was nothing like the life I had left behind in Machakos. I also remember as a 12-year-old, we had moved now, I think we moved to Karen at some point, then South Sea, and I remember um, my school, when we moved to South Sea, my school was still in Karen, somewhere, Karinde, it's called Karen End or Karinde. Um, and I remember commuting on Saturdays, we used to have Saturday tuition, and so it was so much fun getting on a matatu from South Sea into town, from town to Karen, Karen to Karinde, 
by myself and going to school, and it was, it was cool. The Matatu culture, you guys, was something to behold. There was, I don't know if you, if you grew up in Gong back in the day, there was a Matatu called Ping. Yeah, amen, sister. Ping was the matatu to wait for if you didn't get home well, if you didn't go home in Ping. And so we had this culture where it was, life was different back then. We trusted each other more than we do now. So we knew the matatu conductors, they were young people, hype with, you know, hype and life was happening. And so we actually, you would wait at the bus stop and there would be someone somewhere who knew what direction Ping was coming from. And so they'd tell you it's 10 minutes this side, so it's coming down. So you need to wait so that you get home properly. You just don't arrive in anything. And so it must be ping. Back then it was ping. And the music, just the vibe, it was alive. And I, I love this city. Fell in love with this city the day we landed here and got to experience all these things. There's lots of things that have changed about this city of Nairobi. Plenty. The infrastructure, if you were here even just like five years ago compared to today, plenty has changed. The, the vibe around the city center has changed. Stalls everywhere that were Muhindi shops back in the day have now been subdivided into these small stalls. Life has changed in this city of Nairobi. But in as much as all these things have changed, the city has grown, there are certain things that remain a constant. And one of those things is this. This city still represents the hopes, aspirations, and dreams of many Kenyans who flock this city from every corner of this country in search for a better life, that bigger opportunity, and just the fulfillment of their lives' dreams and desires. There's just something about Nairobi. Nakuru is awesome. Mombasa is okay. It's perfect for holiday. Kisumu, sour, but Nairobi... Nairobi is the place where dreams come what? True. So if you're not in Nairobi, it's like, what, what are you even doing with your life? Right? So as I said, people keep flocking this city in search for that bigger, better, whatever it is. If it's business, employment, school, Nairobi is the place to be. Now, the thing about this quest and this search for bigger and better is that it forms sort of the background of the thing that we are going to talk about today, which is dead religion or powerless religion. Now, over the last three or so weeks, uh, we've talked about um, tribalism, we've talked about sex, and last week we had Sifas preach to us around the area of addiction and just how these vices uh, play out in this city of Nairobi. And so today we are going to look at dead or powerless religion. Now, this, this hunger and thirst for bigger, better, for that opportunity that's going to take you to the next level that has people flocking into this city is something that a brand of religion or Christianity, if I may call it, has quite taken advantage of in this city of Nairobi. And Christianity in Nairobi is not one-dimensional. There is many different ways that it presents itself. But just before we get into that, um, allow me to read um, a portion of scripture that's going to form the bulk of how we are going to learn this message today and some things that um, would be important for us to consider from a conversation that happens between Jesus and his disciples. Now, this conversation happens um, 
after Jesus has had an encounter with a, a bunch of people called Sadducees and Pharisees. Now, these guys, the Sadducees, were teachers of the law. They were the most knowledgeable people in terms of what the law says and what people need to do in terms of how do you live life. They were even so clever that they added their own laws on top of existing laws just to make sure that all bases were covered. They were very pious in terms of being strict with following religious practices and things like that. But the unfortunate thing about these guys is that um, a lot of times their life did not match the law that they claimed to, um, to believe in and to follow so faithfully. And so Jesus described them at, at some point that they are, you know, the, the, the cup is clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. That's perfect description of what these Pharisees and Sadducees types were. And so in this encounter with Jesus, they come to him and ask, show us a sign. We want a sign. And Jesus, of course, answers them with the wisdom that only God has. And um, of the people just seeking after him for a sign, he says, he calls them a wicked and perverse generation. And so it's on the back of this conversation that the portion of scripture we are going to read um, happens. And so Jesus, in Matthew 16, 13 to 17, when he came to the region of Caesarea in Philippi, he asks his disciples this. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And his disciples replied, Some say that you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others still say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus asks them this, and this is a question that I'm going to call us to consider um, as we learn this message a little later on. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And so I want you to hold on to that, to that portion of Scripture, and we'll come back to it. Now, Kenya is really a Christian nation. The statistics show that we are 85% a Christian population. But... It's really hard with that kind of number to explain the corruption, the addiction, the sexual immorality, the indiscipline, the chaos, the dishonesty, and all the other vices that are just such a normal part of life, especially in this great city of ours of Nairobi. And the question I had as I was thinking about this is, who on earth are these 15% ungodly men and women causing such havoc in this city of Nairobi? Who are they? Where are they? Can we just find them, lock them up, and our city will be what? All good. Or will it be? Now, the reality and the truth of the matter is the havoc and all these vices that are happening in this city is not so much the problem of the 15%. The problem is that within that 85%, there is a brand of Christianity that is actually nothing like what our Lord and Savior died for. There is a problem. Is basically what I'm saying. There is a problem. Like I said, Christianity in Nairobi looks different depending on where you're standing and you know what's happening around you. On the one hand, we have a number of people for whom Christianity is just an identifier. I am Kamba, 
I am female, and I also happen to be what? Christian. And I'm Christian simply because I'm not Muslim, I'm not Hindu, I'm not any of those other things. So it's just simply a what? It's a label, it's an identifier. For others still within this bracket, how you know it really is an identifier is, I grew up in a traditional church. My mother still maintains our membership annual fee. And so I am a Christian because if something was to happen to me, say a death in the family, I was getting married, a dedication was happening, anything that requires spiritual authority, that pastor will come. Why? Because my mother still pays annual membership fee. Hence, therefore, I am a Christian. Therefore, this brand of Christianity is simply by association and is useful and available when? When it's needed. We also have another style of Christianity which looks something like this. I'm living my best life now, and I don't want sort of the inconvenience of doing too much Jesus stuff because it might get in the way of my living my best life now. And so you have a brand of mostly middle class, young or young at heart, upwardly mobile men and women who are living their best life now because they have the dream job that brought them to Nairobi. They have the nice car, the nice apartment, the, the girlfriend, the wife, the two kids. And they probably once believed in God and served him and even walked with him. But now they have everything they need, right? The things they were seeking God for, he's delivered. So they, they don't have much need for him except for when? When trouble comes. And so until trouble comes, you know what? I'm just going to get on living my best life now and doing what I need to do. Um, and the things that once convicted their hearts around sin and righteousness have just now been diluted to being they're just suggestions. You cooled, you couldn't. Well, is it wrong? Mm. I'm living my best life now. There is no shortage of churches in this city of Nairobi. Every corner you turn, there's a what? There's a church. Before this one starts their worship, there's another one competing over there with even louder, a PA system. Churches are at every corner. TV and radio programs, lunch hour services, Friday night cashers, breakthrough healing and, deliver and deliverance services, and the church names, guys. The church names are something to behold. The more fire fire the name sounds, even better, right? I've just been told of one, Marathon to Heaven Without Ticket International Ministries. Huh? The names are a work of art, then there's the posters. The church posters are interesting, and they'll tell you exactly what this church is about and what to expect. Now, the other interesting thing about these posters is they always have the husband and wife, even when the husband and wife are not. Yes. So my husband and I decide, wait a minute. We've been in this city all these years. Why haven't we launched a ministry? So we are seriously considering going into church business, and we are going to have two posters up on the screen. We'll be taking a vote after this to see which poster best serves our ministry as we launch into this city of Nairobi. 
But in case you're wondering, why, I, I don't know if you've ever wondered, why does it always have the husband and wife, even if it's just one who is the pastor? This is what one pastor said when he was asked this question. Having the pastor's wife on the poster is actually key. It is important because, please listen carefully, it demonstrates to rogue church members that the pastor is a married man. Pastors go through a lot of temptation if their wives are not known. Wow. And like I asked Bonisi, why are you alone? <laughs> it's a problem. Where is Tash when you need her? Right? When it is declared publicly, then single women who might be eyeing the pastor will know that there's a line that should not be crossed. And the same applies to, the, to female pastors. They must also include their husbands. So don't think that the, the, the pictures are just accidental. There's, there's reasoning. There's kingdom reasoning behind why the wife needs to be there. Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against prayer meetings, deliverance services, healing ministries, or church posters. I have nothing against wives and husbands being on the church poster. But here is the problem. There's a, something amiss because the number of churches, deliverance and breakthrough ministries, overnight prayers, and all this hype, there's a problem because it does not seem to translate to transformed lives or Christ-likeness or even the fruitfulness that the Bible talks about when it comes to the followers of Jesus Christ. Exactly. Something is very wrong. Let me give you a few examples. According to a research carried by Ipsos Sinovit in 2020, and this research was mostly targeting, was targeting women actually, more than half of Kenyan women that were polled visited a witch doctor. They have, at some point, visited a what? A witch doctor. 38% of the half million population that was polled admitted to being repeat customers. So they haven't just gone once and said, wait, ogopa. They went and have kept what? It's a, they have a, a, a long-standing appointment with the witch doctor. And the things that they are seeking help with include love problems, especially the taming of wayward husbands, finances, success at work and in business, protection for family and self, and lately, apparently, they are also dealing with KRA problems. So if you have any of those problems, I mean, these are real problems in our day-to-day, -day, right? If you're in Nairobi pursuing that bigger opportunity, these are real challenges, right? And so, if out of a population of half a million, more than half of them have visited a witch doctor, and we go back to that statistic that we are 85% Christian, it definitely tells you that there are men and women in this city who call themselves Christ followers who have no problem doing what? Seeking the extra help. And this is one of the things that these women said. We are tired of waiting and praying for our destinies. We've therefore taken matters into our own hands. Now, I took some time to speak to a few people, some friends and my parents as well, who've been uh, pastors in this city of Nairobi, especially in the Eastlands area for most of my adult life, and just ask them around, what, what does ministry look like in these spaces that you serve? What, does, what is Christianity? What, 
What's, what are the struggles around um, dead religion where you're serving? And this is, these are some of the responses that I got. That confirming that statistic that we've read there around um, witchcraft, it's that people are willing to do whatever it takes to get whatever they need or whatever they are seeking after, even if it means witchcraft or anything is a solution, corruption, whatever it takes, they are willing to do it. Christians, I'm not talking about non-Christians, Christians are willing to do whatever it takes to get the answer that they need. But this is, this is, this is where it gets a bit tricky. These same Christians are also very careful to return the glory back to God when there are other means that they used yield the results that they want. And so they will come to church and give a testimony of how God has done it for me. Hmm? And they know very well it was, yes, they prayed, but the prayers delayed, so they went and sought extra means. But because they prayed, then surely God must have blessed even their extra means. And so they are careful, as a good Christian would be, to give glory and honor back to God. Another story that was in the papers um, around the time of, do you remember COVID millionaires? You know, coming out of COVID and the scandals that started popping up. And there's this, there's this lady, um, the director of a certain firm that had supplied Kemsa with COVID-19 items worth 42 million shillings. And she was in front of this panel of MPs because there was a probe happening around the corruption that had happened. And so she was being questioned around, how did you land this tender? Um, okay, tell us the backstory. And so she says that she bagged this deal through prayers. She says, because people assume you must know someone who is someone to get a deal, right? You don't get 42 million tenders in Kenya if you don't know someone. But she said, imagine, I didn't know anyone there. I just relied on prayer. My situation was really bad, and I prayed about it. I can tell you without fear that God is the one who directed me there. I prayed, and my prayer was answered, she said. When you pray and ask God for help, you don't just sit in the house and continue praying. You get up and do something about it. However, according to a document that was tabled before this same committee, this firm was handed a commitment letter on 30th of April, 2020, yet the letters of intent for that tender were released on May 6th, 2020. Guys, miracles, right? <laughs> she prayed. God answered. Her letter of intent even came before. Her letter of commitment came even before the actual tender letters were were released. People are willing to do anything to get what they need and have no shame attributing it to God and prayer and giving him the glory. Another aspect that came out from my conversations uh, with my friends and my mom around this thing of what does dead religion look like, she said, the church hoping is notorious with this brand of Christianity. Because people are constantly searching for the latest, freshest, hottest anointing in town. They are never satisfied with this anointing of today. There has to be fresh anointing being poured out every single time. So when a new church opens over there, we run there because we need to tap into that anointing over there. Another one opens, we run because that pastor has a different grace upon his life. We need to run and tap into that. 
I'm even told that these days, this is how you pick a church. So I don't know how you landed at one tribe, but let me give you some insider information. <laughs> really? Mandazi? Okay, you, you clearly need to learn a few things from these guys. You pick your church based upon the grace that is upon the man of God in that church. And you know why that grace is important? Because it determines your own destiny as well. Because how will you drive the Range, the Range Rover if, you're, if the man of God whose grace you're under is not driving one? How will you live in that dream estate if the man of God is not living that life? And so people choose their church based on the grace that is upon the man of God that is leading that particular church. And so it's not uncommon to hear things like we need to buy the man of God a new car. We need to upgrade his house or this or that and as the other. Why? So that as his grace is uplifted, ours is also what? Uplifted. Because how can we look like our father if our father is not looking like the dream that we have of what a good life is? And so the idea of consistent, steady membership is, is really shaky in this city of Nairobi because people are hoping from church to church. Woe unto your church if it doesn't meet the fire, fire hype standard that's been set in this city. Then there is the man of God, the MOG. He's a charismatic, flashy fella, sharp, pointy shoes because, you know, the anointing must pierce. <laughs> huh? Devil stomping. If the suit is purple, even better, the color of royalty. This guy has power and secret dealings with God that the rest of you mere mortals cannot access. That's why you need the man, the man of God, to access the heavenly places that y'all cannot. Even if you tried, you cannot enter that glory. Hmm? And so, you need your man of God to be up there because, like I said, your destiny depends on it. Your business success, your family success depends on the grace on this man of God. This guy is super important because he hears God in a way that the rest of you don't. And he relays to you what God says. He's the medium that tells you the secrets of heaven. However, these secrets are limited to the areas of prosperity and success. That's, that's the realm in which him and God operate. This guy even has better street cred if he has a title like apostle, prophet, bishop, nabi, mtumishi, you know? Forget this business of elder. Elder for who? He, ha he has to have a title that speaks of the power and the authority that he carries from God. This brand of Christianity is obsessed with the devil and the dark forces. And so there's Sunday after Sunday prayers to do what? Stomp the devil. That, hence the shoes, guys. You don't just stomp him with slippers. Like, the devil must be stomped on. Now, a question my mom asks is like, wait, why doesn't he ever leave? We are stomping him Sunday in, Sunday out. He never leaves. We have to constantly keep stomping him out. 
And so the, the obsession with the devil is, is mind-blowing. And the man of God, usually, when you, have, when you have a problem, difficulties, you're struggling in life, business, finances are hard, what you do is you go to the man of God, to the Nabi. And the job of the Nabi is to tell you, Ninani amekanya gia barakayako. As in, who has stepped, who is, who is responsible for keeping your blessings stepped on down there? Why is, it, why is it not rising up and delivering? And his job is this, to tell you the kind of offering that you need to bring so that he can release the foot that is stepping on your blessing. But he goes beyond that because he cares. He will not only remove that mugu that has stepped on your blessing, but whatever it is that that Mugu had sent to you, he throws it back at them. And usually, it's a, a, je, a jealous relative, right? If you're African, you know, the jealous relative is always throwing things at you. Or a jealous business partner or something. So the man of God has powers to release blessings and to throw back bad things that has, have been thrown to you. Did I mention the weekly deliverance services, the overnight prayers to Sambaratisha, to scatter the devil? Prosperity and acquisition of material wealth is the absolute true mark of faith. If you're not prospering, what are you doing with your faith? Sin is not that big of a deal. The whole issue of repentance and walking uprightly before God, those things are, are minor things. The main thing is what? Prosperity and acquisition of wealth. Everything else is a means to an end. After all, God really wants us to prosper. That's where you say glory, guys. God really wants us to prosper. Depth is frowned upon, and it's considered a total waste of time, because what will depth get you? What, since when has depth bought a Range Rover? Right? Since when has depth delivered on that promise, that life that you are seeking for when you are running into this city? There's no point of being deep if we are not going anywhere. And going anywhere equals prospering. So you're left to wonder, if, you, if you've read your Bible, what are we to do with the words of Paul in Romans 8, 18, when he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. In this brand of Christianity, we don't want a glory yet to be revealed. We want a glory for where? Now. And suffering is actually a, a sign of great lack of faith. All we want is to move from glory to glory, and we decree and declare that suffering is not our portion. We shall occupy and multiply and align ourselves with kingdom strategies that get us where we are going. We are the head and not the tail in Jesus' name. That's common. Every, everywhere you turn. Now, I, I honestly don't even have the time to tell you about the sex scandals, the money scandals, the songs, the music that passes for praise and worship, the misinterpretation and misuse of scripture. The list is endless when it comes to this brand of dead, powerless faith. And the reason it's dead is actually this, is because Jesus is greatly lacking from the center of it. It's not about him. It's about me, myself, and I. 
did I mention that if you're suffering and sick and struggling, it's a lack of faith problem? Yeah. Now, in Jesus, in Nairobi, sorry, Jesus is good for prosperity, business, politics, and church is absolutely amazing business. And so, guys, this city that we love, this city that God has planted us in, this city that we have been called into is plagued by this seemingly powerful and spirit-filled brand of Christianity, which is in actual sense powerless religion, because like I said, it looks nothing like Christ, and it is devoid of the freedom that Christ has paid for. Allow me to tell you one more story that is closer home. One of our church members here at One Tribe, and I have her permission to share this story, lost her dad some maybe two years ago or some time ago. And when that happened, um, the land that they had been living on, um, the mother, the now widowed mother and her, uh, this One Tribe's younger siblings, um, suddenly there were people who were coming and wanted to grab this land. And so this eventually became a court case that was thankfully resolved sometime this year in, the, in this um, mother's favor. But the, the person, the aggressor who wanted to steal this land from this widow was actually a pastor. And this friend from one tribe actually confronted him and said, dude, you're a pastor. What are you doing? Why are you torturing my mom? She's a widow. She's just lost her husband. She's lived here all, the, all our life. What are you doing? And his response was, usilete yo maneno apa. Don't bring those stories here because this is about land. This is, this is not church. We are not talking about Jesus. We are, not, we are not in ministry here. When it's land issues, we do what? Let's deal with the land issue. And so we have this powerless religion that for a lot of people, it's just simply something that you pick up and drop off when it's convenient, when it serves you. When you're in trouble because you know, you know God can help, then you run to God. When life is good, maybe I don't need him so much. And my question to us as one tribe is this. Are we even aware that there's a city all around us perishing, not because they actually don't know Jesus, but the version of Jesus that they know and keep hearing is so distorted that they probably will never access the fullness of what Jesus died for if they never get to hear the, the, the true message of the gospel. Are you aware that the person seated next to you at the office who might even uh, speak Jesus here and there actually may not even know this Jesus? Are you aware that the lady that comes to clean for you, the watchman at your gate, is probably so caught up in this, in this powerful, powerless religion and they seem as though they are going somewhere. We seem as though with the number of churches around us, the services, the deliverance ministries and all this, surely we shall have a happy reunion in heaven as we meet as Nairobians and compare notes of life was good, Bana. But chances are there's many, as Jesus said, not all who call me Lord, Lord will see the kingdom of God. Why? Because there's a message that's being spoken of out there that does not represent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so my question to us is this, what are we going to do about it? What does scripture have to say about it? What are you going to do about it? If you didn't know, now you know. You can't, you can't play the ignorant card from here on. 
What are you going to do about it? I want to propose to us a response on two levels. And first, as you can see at the center of this um, dead religion is pastors and supposed teachers of the word who are clearly doing the word a great injustice. And so I want first to pose a response to those of us, myself included, that we have been given the gift of sharing God's word and breaking down his word to others who gather. So pastors, teachers of the word, I dare even include Bible study leaders, our life group leaders in this place, anyone who at some point has the opportunity to open up this word and share it with someone else. And indeed, that should be all of us because we are all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, in writing to Timothy and giving him this charge in terms of what, how he was going to handle the sharing of the, the message of the gospel, said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and onwards. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this, we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the, in the living God, who is the savior of all men and especially those who believe. Therefore, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look, on, look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, and in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which, you have been, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters, Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. And so even if I didn't expound or say anything more, that portion of scripture already has enough instructions for teachers and preachers of the word of God have nothing to do with godless myths. How will you even know that they are godless myths if we are not spending time in God's word? We must be in God's word. It's the only one that allows the eyes of our heart to be open, to know and see and walk in truth because God's word is truth. Train yourself to be godly. Guys, godliness is not something that just happens miraculously. Paul alludes here to the fact that actually there's training. There's a constant saying no to evil and darkness and sin and training ourselves to saying yes to what God is calling us to. So there must be training, a practicing of godliness daily that allows us to constantly be growing and moving towards the kind of people that God is calling us to. This training requires that we watch where we go, what we listen to, what our lives are about. It matters the community that we band around us that is speaking into our lives and encouraging and challenging us in how we are living our very lives. Have nothing to do with godless myths. 
train yourselves to be godly. The other thing that Paul says is command and teach these things. He doesn't say make suggestions about what scripture could say, what it could possibly mean. Command and teach these things with the authority that the word of God deserves. And in case you're in doubt, your age, your gender, none of those things matter. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. In, instead, the calling is to set an example. How? In your speech, in your conduct, in your love for one another, in faith, and for a great city of Nairobi, in purity. It matters how you're living your life. It matters how you're conducting yourself. It matters how you're walking in love and in faith. It matters that you say no to ungodliness, to sexual immorality. It matters. Paul reminds Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Your devotion cannot only just be a private affair, something that you do in the quietness of your room and then get out of there and it's up to the world to try to figure out, are you even are you a Christian? Where do you stand? You seem like a nice guy. He says, proclaim this scripture publicly. Read it out. Let the world know where you stand and what the word of God says. And he says this, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself fully. Don't be double-minded about where you stand. And this is one for us, guys. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in these things. And here is why you will need to persevere, especially in this aspect of watching your life and doctrine. Because this city is churning out more false doctrine that you, than you can keep up with. It's hitting us left, right, center. Just when you think you've had the craziest of it, something else pops up. You must watch your life and your doctrine closely. And there's no way of doing that outside of being in Scripture and diligently being in the Word of God. And here's another thing why it's important that you watch your doctrine. The false doctrine that's, you know, uh, moving along in this city is, is carrying with it a lot of people and actually leading them astray and losing them. But Paul says this to Timothy, that actually in guarding uh, your life, in watching your life and doctrine and persevering, if you do that, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility because the hearing of right doctrine points people back to Jesus, and when they meet this Jesus, their lives are changed forever. And so it matters that we watch our life, that we watch our doctrine. And for the rest of us who you might say, you know, I'm, I'm not a Bible teacher, could never expound scripture for anyone, I want to take us back to where we started in that conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus outlines there in his response what it means to actually follow him. And, and in, in, in what he says, it cannot be a casual relationship with Jesus, one of convenience where you come in and out as you please, where you think I've achieved everything I could want in life and so Jesus can take a back seat, I can pop in when I'm sick, he'll heal me, then go back to living my life. Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my, my, my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
And so your Christianity, your, your walk of faith cannot be about me, myself, and I, and all the things that you could accumulate for yourself. Because Jesus says that you cannot be his disciple until you have denied yourself and taken up your cross daily and followed him. And you know, Jesus, in following him, his, his journey eventually led him to a cross. It led him to death on a cross, buried for three days, to rise again and secure hope and redemption for all of us sitting here today. And so the, the truth of the matter is the following of Jesus is not a call to an easy path. It's a call to follow him in places that will not be convenient, in places where sometimes that prosperity that you're seeking for will not be the case. The call to follow Jesus will call us to places where it will demand of us that we are submitted to him and that he is the one that we are looking up to, that our dependence is 100% on him. Jesus' father says this, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so to, so to someone sitting here this morning and you've, you've thought and pursued Jesus, and maybe you don't even, if we were to ask you about your pursuit of Jesus, you would say, but of course I love Jesus. But if we were to take an in-depth look at your life, maybe your life could be saying something different, that actually the pursuit of your heart is the prosperity and the other things that are promised by this powerless religion. The question that Jesus poses to us this morning is this. What good will it be for you if you gained the whole world today and in the end lost your very soul? And as Jesus asked his disciples that day in that conversation after meeting with the Pharisees, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And this is a question that he's posing to us this morning. Who do you say that I am? Yes, I want you to prosper. I want you to be blessed. I want you to enjoy the goodness of who I am. He's a good father and he wants good things for his children. But guys, far above the prosperity and all the material wealth and things that God could give you, God wants your heart. He wants all of you, all of me. And so this morning, we must ponder these matters and ask ourselves, who really is at the center of your life? Who really is at the center of the choices that you're making the way that you're moving in your business, in your workplace. Who really do you say this Jesus is? Who really does the story of your life say this Jesus is? And if you truly answer that question from Scripture and have an encounter with this God, then you realize that Jesus is truly the only treasure that lasts to eternity. Because all these other things will fail, but Jesus and his word will last forever and ever. And as we ponder this question of who this Jesus is and think about dead religion in this city, as we think about 
the churches that are mushrooming everywhere and leading people astray. It's not all doom because I know for a fact that there are pastors and churches out there. They may not be the famous ones, the popular ones, but there are actually pastors out there who are standing on the truth of God's word and proclaiming it boldly. But they are probably not in the majority, or at least they are not the most popular. And so can you imagine the level of discouragement that they are facing if this is what they are having to deal with Sunday after Sunday, right? And so like we did in the first service, I want us to, in this moment, take some time and lift up before God Bible teachers and pastors in this city of Nairobi who are standing and proclaiming the truth of God's word, that God would give them the power of his spirit to continue to do that boldly, that we as one tribe would continue to be that church that continues to proclaim fearlessly the word of God in this city of Nairobi because this city desperately needs it. The problems, the issues that we are facing as a people in this city, Jesus is the only one that can answer them. The, the fire, fire Christianity clearly has not, if they were to answer these questions, we would be trouble free by now. If the number of deliverance services were anything to go by, we would be delivered and home free by now. Jesus is the answer for this city. And so I want us to raise a prayer for men and women of God in this city who are proclaiming Jesus fearlessly in the areas that God has called them to. But I also want to challenge us because God has planted us in this city. God has brought us here for a reason in this city. We must be those that are salt and light in this city, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, not just by the words of our mouth, but by the very lives that we live, the love that we have for one another, by standing and walking in purity and living lives that actually say yes, Jesus is alive and well in this city.